Hello and welcome to the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Barbara Fisher. Tonight, I'm talking with Tad. He's living in New Zealand now. He had a really amazing experience in Wales back in 1989, and he's going to tell us about it. We've been talking back and forth on the internet, and I really think you guys will enjoy what he has to say. Hello. Hi, Barbara. Great to be here. Well, it's it's great to finally talk with you in person and everything. Well, sort of in person, in person over the internet. Yeah. We're all used to that these days. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Well, start however you'd like. Um, I, I do like the, the, the way you started it when you wrote it down, but you can start it however you like. I'll start it the same way. Um, well, in my younger days, uh, me and my partner, now my wife, Sarah, uh, we used to really enjoy exploring the British countryside and um, doing that on a motorbike, little tent. And we liked the out-of-the-way places, the rural areas, and often we'd find um, a landowner or a farmer that maybe did a little bit of camping, or you just inquire, and um, they just let you camp in a field. And that was the best thing, having waking up in the morning and having a whole field and a beautiful view to yourself. So we did that a lot of the weekends all throughout the year. And I guess it put put us uh, in a certain statistical bracket. We were out in the open, under the skies, a lot. And uh, mm-hmm. on this one particular trip, um, it was the start of a summer holiday. Um, we camped first at Stratford, near Stratford Navon, and we thought we'd take in a play. And we called into a village and found a farm and they said oh yeah you can camp the night and um, it was a big huge crop field and we drove down into the middle of it and uh, found that there was lots of stubble strewn around so we put that under the little tent and we put a load under a a ground sheet was a nice comfortable place to rest later and um, we packed up and drove into town lucky enough to get tickets to see a midsummer's night's dream and um a really enjoyable experience and came back um, through the the country lanes back to our tent, back to base and trundled through the farmyard and down towards a middle of this crop field that, where there was a small pond and a, a, a thicket, a, a little island of trees that we decided to camp next to. And so we had um, a cup of tea and it was a lovely evening starry sky so i thought i'd do some stargazing while sarah was tidying up the camp and closing down for the night and um that's when it started to get a bit strange because i was familiar with stargazing and you know your eyes adapt and um you see another layer of stars and you see some more stars but then something different happened and it was like an amplification and the only way i can describe it is if maybe you'd been meditating in a group of people, sometimes that's a much stronger experience. It's because of the group or people being on their best behavior or something like that. So I started getting drawn into this stargazing and seeing a bit further. And that was a, a starting phase. And then there was another phase where the only way I can describe that is um, I'm a very amateur percussionist. And by twist of fate, once I got to play with a band of professional musicians, and that, that you can play so much better and the, you have to tune into there's so much more going on. This communication, you don't 
you don't know is there until you're in the middle of it. And then, you know, it's your turn to do a solo and wow, you know, it's, it's very, very taxing. It takes a lot of concentration. And I just got into a phase of that and something was pulling me deeper and deeper into this experience. And then it, it got a lot more powerful. And the only way I can describe that is I think it's something akin to astral traveling no pun intended, mm -hmm. but actually part of my consciousness seemed to be right out there deep in space. I was still lying on on the divan of rubble and um, stubble, uh, but part of me was right out there. And I I, I don't know where, where it came from. I'd, I'd never done this before. I, I don't, not quite sure I could do it again or would want to do it again. But um, yeah, I was just, it's just like grids of stars appearing and then I burst through them and then be on another grid. So it was no longer peering into the night sky. It was sort of voyaging almost. Okay. I came back to um base and I was a little bit wobbly, but none the worse for wear. Just just fine, stood up and looked around. And then it's then I noticed that the whole atmosphere in the field had changed um, dramatically. Um and I was able to correlate it with going to the theater because it was very um, gravid, very serious. Uh, the, the, the contours were different, the contrast. The, the blacks were blacker. And even time seemed to have slowed down a bit. And I just was wondering, where is this coming from? This isn't what it was like before I started stargazing. Um, I don't think it's me. I'm feeling kind of okay. But um, yeah, it was it's it was something like a, an air of like if you're in a theater and the just before they open the curtain when everybody's hushed and there's that incredible amount of concentration you feel it from everybody the show's going to start there was an anticipation mm -hmm. but I didn't know what the show was I didn't know if it was going to start I just it really felt like something was going to happen uh, and. That's when I noticed in the the thicket of trees that there seemed to be these colorful lights sort of scintillating and dancing around a bit. And I thought, you know, I thought, surely not. What's what's going on? And I said to Sarah, What do you see that? And she said, Yeah. And then they just seemed to draw you in. They were mesmerizing. There were there's like a, a magenta, a crimson, an ivory white gorgeous colors and they were dancing in the trees and they just became fascinating and then i thought no i don't i, I i'm not seeing this this must be lights um there must be houses and just the distance is wrong because i'm seeing it through the trees and then i was unsure that i wanted to be seeing these things because it 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 then hits you. It's, this is this is odd. This is really odd. Um, and at the same time, then you get to overcome that and you just get mesmerized again. And there started to be something else there, something dark and swirling around, like a almost you could say it was like a fog or a mist, or it was bigger, and the lights seemed to start rising to a high level in the trees. And looking back on it, it reminded me of a kid's joke, which was um where do elephants hide in the forest? Oh, how do they hide in the forest? They paint their toenails red and they hide in the cherry trees. It was, it was just like 
<laughs> the lights now were just the, the toenail of the whole experience. There was something else. <laughs> they were just a, like a, almost like a lure, a, a, an intro. Mm -hmm. um, they, mm -hmm. they served their purpose. They just absolutely captured your concentration and attention. And then, then I became immediately became some kind of debunker. I was saying, oh, this isn't right. This is, I'm just seeing things wrong or there really are things there. And I, and I wanted I wanted to find a way to explain to myself that this was something um, mundane and it would go away, but it wouldn't. It just kept coming back <laughs> that there's something slightly more solid there. And, um, and then there was this big black thing there that I didn't want to be there. I didn't want it to be there. I didn't want to be there seeing it, but I couldn't ignore it. And I'd, it would oscillate between, no, I'm not seeing it, as if I was trying to stop myself from seeing it. But then it would kind of, it, uh, it kind of delved into my subconscious. And I just felt like it was trying to put on a shape that I would recognize. And it was... It was kind of like a negotiation, like it was like try to try that on for size. I think there was something really big and large, and it. it wanted to be a certain shape, but it could only become solid because it was becoming solid. Now it was, um, what's it called? It was an apparition or um, something becoming um, from nothing, like a conjuring, mm -hmm. or it, it wanted to be a certain shape, but it felt like it only could achieve substantiality if I recognized it 100% and gave it the permission to be what it was. And um, so it was neither, it seemed to be, not, eventually it, it was there and it, like, my God, the cat's out of the bag. I'm looking at this, this I don't know how to describe it, craft um, object. It was the size of um, a double-decker bus. Say in, in America, if you cut a school bus in half and added them together, or maybe the size mm -hmm. of a, a U-Haul van. It was that big, and it was really – I could have thrown a tennis ball at it and hit it. I know that's – everybody says that, but wow. I, I, I could have. It was just there, uh, and it was matte black, and it was the shape, I now realize, looking back, of a Dungeon & Dragons die, a D20. I've never played the game, but it's But you know shape. what it looks like. I, yeah, I went yeah. looking for – uh, I thought I went looking on the internet for tetrahedrons and there's doubling die with backgammon. And I knew it was like, and then I saw one of these. I thought that's, it was like that matte black. And now all the lights have become embedded in its surface at, at irregular, in, and it was still doing the scintillating thing. So now you're not only just looking at the lights, the lights are now embedded into this huge object, um, quasi technological. And it's, it's like a magical show. It's, it's, it's like, something has put on an appearance and it has manifested in front of you and you're in this huge magic outdoor theater and you just just think why why is this happening why is this happening to me i don't you know still looking at it thinking no i wish you weren't there you know that too much really to take in too much to handle but yeah it just seemed like a vile transgression of the natural order of things um, yeah, something had been opportunistic and crept into our reality. And mm -hmm. mm, 
you know that that's that's you know people say how do these things change you well i don't know if it changed me a lot long term but in that moment you'd learn something uh you you can't not learn it or unlearn it and the way i would describe it would be by the phrase from shakespeare there are more things in heaven and earth than you've dreamt of in your philosophy that's the came that was like a thousand volt bang there's what you mm-hmm. took to be could happen would happen is the scope of natural phenomena no there's something else that can happen um yeah so i'm oh i had to download it's very boring i mean people have interesting downloads mine was quite trite and it was it was of the order of not one of my thoughts but it was a thought happening um, mm-hmm. I couldn't say if it was something telepathic or a, a beamed-in thought. Even it, more at the time, it seemed like something coming up from the collective unconscious. And it's, it was a message, and it said, this is other. This is the other. And it, that's not a word in my – or wasn't my word in my, my vocabulary then. Uh, don't know where that thought came from. The next was, this has always been happening, just not to you. I thought, okay, that's, mm. that makes sense. It's, it's common sense as well. And then the next part of that was, if you want to stay safe, you should walk away. And I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, yeah, I need to walk away. And But I'm still spellbound. And I begin to mm-hmm. notice, I begin to notice white domed things that I think are like, SUVs in a, in a further field coming towards us and they've got almost like headlights but in the end it turned out to be one light and I'm thinking yeah these are SUVs someone's coming someone's noticed this and they're coming to follow it or see it or track it down but then I thought no it's cars and it was like a repeat of that like debunking thing it wasn't cars it was we had a good look at them later and they were like um white like the top half of an suv just the top half boxy domed mm-hmm. and um they had one light and they were like very low down hovering and they were moving around in a kind of grid pattern widely looking like they're almost like searching this field for something uh and then i noticed a couple of orbs at least two um now skirting around the hedgerows of the big field i was in and um many years later i was lucky enough to see um, a barn howl hunting along the hedges in in Scotland, and these things were moving like that. It was like floating up and down, fluttering, bobbing um, along the, the hedgerows. And one one disappeared out of my eye view on my left, and then almost at the same time on my right, and that caused me alarm. I thought, "Oh, there's something. I've got this, these things in front of me now. I've got things." behind me that was alarming and i kind of used that to get out of the mesmerizing state i was in and i thought right no yeah if you want to stay safe get out of here so um i i said to sarah come let's go and um i said get my knife it was in the tent and she didn't respond and i realized she's just staring she's in a trance and um so i shook her i shook her shook her and she came out of it i said look quick just get my knife from the tent we're going out of the field and she just just did that because she probably could tell by the tone of my voice that there was something 
going on. And she'd seen she'd seen the first half of this. She'd looked at the lights. She'd seen the black swirling stuff. But after that, she doesn't remember seeing anything. She was just it was just the lights. And then, so she got my knife, and um, I like to think we. Um, beat a dignified retreat up the field. Sarah says we ran like hell. <laughs> <She's probably laughs> right. So, yeah, we got out of the zone of that. And it's like, it kind of knew that, you know, I didn't run screaming into the village, waking everybody, come and see this. Because it, I don't know, I just kind of felt that if I did that, it would all disappear. You know, and mm-hmm. there, there seemed to be an edge of it. Um. I know that you had an experience similar with the, the graduation party where you saw some lights and some things appearing, and it seems as if you and your friends retreated far enough to to mm-hmm. almost sense that that's the edge of it. And it mm-hmm. probably was. Yeah, you seem to know, just seemed to me I, I knew that. Did you feel the same? Yes. Yes. Most of our most of our friends went into the house that night. Um there were two who sat on the porch and then my friend Dave and I sat on top of one of our friends, uh, Jeeps. We sat on the hood and leaned against the, um, windshield and watched up the hill Uh to see what was happening. And then once stuff started moving and got halfway down the hill, because it was like waves, they would, they would come and then they sort of, dance back up the hill and then they'd come down, but they'd come a little further and then back up. Once they got to like halfway to the cars, we, Dave and I were like, okay, it's time now we're going in the house. And we did. And, uh, we stayed in there for, I want to say a couple of hours. We waited until it seemed to calm down and then, as soon as it calmed down, mo- most everybody except uh, Kendra left. And it was just my husband and I and Kendra, and we offered to let her stay the night. And she's like, no, I really, really want to get home. I, don't, I didn't blame her. She's <laughs> like, you know, I really want to go home. And yeah. so we drove her because she had ridden in with somebody else. And so I we got her into the car, and that's when she and I both saw a large shambling thing that she described it. And I think it's probably the best description as like somebody had scribbled a vaguely humanoid shape, Mm -hmm. but the scribbles were moving. So it wasn't in a defined form. It kept, like you said, it was wanting to be a shape, but it wasn't quite there yet. It didn't quite form into a shape. So yeah, we, we did a, high speed nonchalant walk to the car because as I said to Kendra, I said, don't run. It just, it's going to attract its attention. Just, just, just walk fast. (laughs) (laughs) So we did. And Zach had the car running by the time we got there. He didn't see anything that night. He never did. Um, He only saw weird lights the very last night we lived in that house. And he saw one, and it was almost as if it had come to say goodbye to him, but it was floating around in our bedroom. And you know, he's trying to be all cool. And oh, he yikes. said, uh, yeah. uh, do, "Do you uh, do you, do you see that?" I said, "Yeah, I see it. It's red." And he was like, "Yeah." And then he 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 spent like I don't know a couple minutes trying to like 
look for the laser beam because it looks like a la it looked kind of like a laser pointer, but it didn't have a beam attached to it. It was just a little orb. So he he basically just kept trying to find where it came from, and then he looked at me and he said, "Is this the stuff you see all the time?" And I said, "Yes." So he was like, I I'm glad now that I, I, I didn't see them all this time. So yeah. that was, that was his first time seeing them. And then he saw them another time at the other house we lived in. And he was pretty grateful that he didn't see him as much as I did. Yeah. So we ended up, Next to a small corral with donkeys in, they were wickering and they were like very agitated. And from mm. there, we we watched the things in the fields, and they seemed to have a purpose. Goodness knows what it was. The orbs found were very interested in the um, electricity cables and especially the lattice towers. They made a mm. beeline for those and started sort of wandering around in through them and just stuck with the electricity lines. The big, what color um, were the orbs? They were like a pearly white, the size of beach ball, I'd say. Hmm. Uh, and they were kind of interesting to watch. I didn't like it when they went out of out of sight behind me. I thought that's not no, that's not a no, good thing. That's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then we then we were able to watch these boxy things with their headlights. They were making it's like a grid search they had their own area of these big huge fields and they were just going back and forth down the lines crossing each other and hmm. yeah they were doing that for you know a good period of time and um d20 as i sometimes call it now <laughs> was just pimping its ride with a those glowing lights scintillating away now it was just up above the trees this island of trees just there um Huge and solid and sucking in light and uh, presumably casting that whole atmosphere around the whole area. And we just watched until they all moved off together into the distance, bobbing away over the fields. You could see them. You could see the big black thing from miles away because it was just so, it was such a big thing. And it was like a flat river valley. And yeah, I thought, oh, that's that's good. It's all over now. And then these two craft came accelerating from the opposite direction. And I thought, oh no, it's just not not more. This really is too much. And then I could hear jet engines, and they were jets, and they had the blinking lights, and then they zoomed overhead, two of them, and they were converging on the object. Um, now, hmm. now to our right in the distance, and. Presumably, it had set off some kind of radar, and they'd been scrambled, and they approached it, and it it let them, I suppose, get close, and then zipped off into into the the distance, but just left them in its dust. It was almost <laughs> like it was taunting them. Yeah, I was about to say it was like, look what I can do, ha. <laughs> You can't catch me. So how long do you think this this experience lasted? Oh, uh, 
20 minutes, half an hour. You know, there's five from, there's a good five minutes of stargazing, another five, ten minutes of everything forming and swirling around and becoming more concrete. And then there was, you know, five, maybe more minutes while we're looking at the goings on, um, which I interpreted afterwards to be, my first thought was, oh my God, I I was put my conscious thought so far into space. It's acted like an EPIRB, an emergency signal, and something's come down and is doing a search and rescue. It's thought, oh, one of our kind is in this field. And they must have been really disappointed to find it's just me, Sarah, and a motorbike in a tent. Um, but yeah, it just, just that was just the way they were. It was almost like a military operation. They had their tasks. They were deployed. They knew what to do. And then they went off maybe to go and do the same thing somewhere else. And then they got interrupted by the RAF. That's fascinating. So the so the orbs were messing with the electrical lines. And then you had the the little white SUV looking things doing a search pattern, like a search grid close to the ground and then D20, I like that name. D20 just sort of hovered up there and maybe directed it all or whatever it was doing, I keeping your attention and Sarah's attention for a little bit. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Drawing you in. It was almost cheeky, insolent. Look, I'm not only am I going to become totally solid, I'm going to float up into the air and stay there wherever anybody in the vicinity could see me, but I don't care. We come in here. We could do what we're going to do. You better just toddle off. Did you hear anything? Was there any sound? No sound. Hmm. Any did did you notice like natural sounds around you fading? No, not really. Okay. It wasn't. There wasn't a lot of natural sound. There weren't. It's the English countryside, so there aren't any crickets. Yeah, you don't. Or, I was going to say you don't got a lot of bugs like we do. No, so. I mean there's plenty in New Zealand, but um, and uh, right. no, it was more of the. It was more of an atmosphere. I mean, and I think once it started becoming solid, time seemed to slow down a beat again. Mm-hmm. Not, nothing like slow motion, but you just notice it. Um, yeah. It's almost like the atmosphere gets thick or something. Yeah. Kind of like that. The air seems to thicken. And so everything seems to move more slowly, whether it is or not. Um. Were you wearing a watch? No, never used to wear a watch. Yeah. You yeah, didn't have mobile phones or cameras in those days. Well, oh. we had cameras, but we didn't take a camera with us. You just. Yeah, I know. I, I, I had lots of weird things happen in those years, too. And did I ever have a camera? I had one once. Did I take a picture? No, I did not. So <laughs> it's not like it is today where you have, you know camera and a timepiece and everything a video camera right there with you a sound recorder you know i wouldn't have ever dreamed of that back in 1989 anyway yeah so anyway they came and put on a big show and i just don't know why you know i just don't know why not 
why why us? You know, the only thing I can think of is they had a purpose in that field, and you just happened to be there. Yeah, and I I also th- I, I got the very strong impression that that my really extended and amplifying amplified stargazing was a trigger some kind of trigger because mm. that was a bang as soon as once i came out of that it, it, it was all on and yeah i don't know whether it's something i accidentally hit upon or it was induced in me because i went so far i was met halfway and allowed to go mm. the rest of the way you know that there was this i read scientific report of a scientific study a long time ago and it was along the lines of if you teach rats in a laboratory a certain trick or to run a certain type of maze once they learn it all the other rats and all the other laboratories in the world learn it much quicker so Hmm. i've pondered just recently was was that you know was i being shown that so that Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, years later I came across, years, years later, accounts of um, the, was it the C5 protocol or HICE human-initiated contact. Mm-hmm. And part of that protocol is about extending your consciousness deep into space and then withdrawing it. When I saw that, mm-hmm. I nearly, wow, that knocked me over with a feather. I thought, wow, that's what, that's that's what, what happened doing. to me. That's what I was doing. And I, I wasn't trying to do it. I didn't know how to do it. You just kept looking and looking deeper and deeper. Yeah, clearly you had a, a changed state of consciousness. You 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 through that stargazing somehow changed your ordinary everyday consciousness and its ability to perceive. So you got a boost in perception. Um, whereas with Sarah, she, she probably just was that state of consciousness that she was induced in was more a sort of, are you still there? Yeah. There you are. Okay. Um, her, her state of consciousness was more not quite put her to sleep, but it was like a trance so that she wasn't noticing or interfering, but you had already changed your consciousness. So you were still noticing you naughty thing. You, yeah. I mean, (laughs) you wrecked their plans (laughs) to to me, the stargazing thing. I know it sounds like, Oh, it's just a little bit intense, but that was almost a, a big experience as whatever happened afterwards. That uh-huh. to experience I can, that alone, I can believe that would have been, woof, you know, that's 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 an experience. Yeah. Um, so maybe it was important for maybe if that thing had been looking to take on shape and looking to pick someone's brains to just, you know, just choose a form, drag something out of the subconscious. Maybe it's simpler to do that with one person looking. Than two, mm-hmm. so yeah. Turn off this one, I'll turn on that one, and it's like, yeah. So for me, I, I, I it, it was only halfway through, and I thought, oh my god, this is is this a UFO experience? You know, this is oh yes, this must be it. But it, but because mm-hmm. it seemed so paranormal, and even afterwards, it was you know, this is 
you know, 89. And I didn't know much about these topics. And I thought things would be much more nuts and bolts and solid and spacecraft, but it didn't feel, it felt, it didn't feel like there were any beings or this is just a very indifferent thing that could mm-hmm. control your, what you perceived, how you perceived. So never really talked about it because how could I talk about it when I knew that I knew that a lot of what was happening was had a a psychological component yes. because in those days it was, Oh, if it's psychological, then you're imagining it. It's nothing. It's just strange. It's aberrant. Yeah. So you, you, you but it was, <laughs> but then mm-hmm. I suppose I got the full spectrum, you know, the little lights, the, the materialization and then shown that, Hey, I'm so solid. The, the air force are getting interested, you know, from, that's from, su- yeah. it was like a full spectrum it, it just, show. Yeah. Yeah. It, and it did it in stages and it, you also had the communication, the telepathic or download communication. Um, uh, and although you you seem to think it's it's kind of pedantic and boring, I don't think so at all. You know, it, it's it communicated clearly with you. I think a lot of people get communication that's not very clear, or it's perpetually nonsense. You know, yeah. but what you got actually made sense. Yeah, maybe something to it was like a one off experience whereas tends to be I know John Keel writes about it in his book Trojan Horse that people get you know messages about disasters are going to happen or they get then they get messianic messages and it's the repeated connection then it's almost like a truck trickster element creeps in and Mm -hmm. and then you're it's not done you any good at all so in a way I feel lucky that it was just a one-off yes. thing. The only, yes. the only tail end of it was you know, like 30 years later. Um, and it may have been stirred up with all the news stories and things about UAPs um, in, the, in the mainstream media and places. And I started thinking, well, that's not what I saw. I know part that's part of what I saw, but there's so much else going on you know this and by that time I'd, I'd read some books by Jacques Vallée and uh, John, um, John Keel and and so I thought yeah no okay what, what I saw is not uncommon um, but it kind of leaves you there's not pointless talking about it because if someone hasn't seen it they, they, they can't comprehend it it, it this sounds just too strange um and it's quite funny you look at skeptics and believers arguing and it, they just seem silly like stop it you know um <laughs> and you see that going on and like, okay and then i i got to the stage where the memory of it was coming back every day it was about a year ago every day um i think about it and it was like an unbidden memory. I wasn't trying to go there. And so I thought, well, what, how the 
how the heck do I get rid of this? What 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 does it mean? You know, 30 years ago I had this really bizarre experience. Um what can I do with it? I think I have to give it some meaning. So I thought I have to maybe tell someone, but no one's no one's really interested. Um, um avidly and you know. But then I thought, I know what I need to do. It just occurred to me, I need to write it down. I need to record it. And I need to do a good job of it. And it was like I was having this um, mashed potato experience from <laughs> uh, Close Encounters where the guy is making that right. mountain all the time. I was thinking about this and thinking about what to do with it. And it was, it was a compulsion. And I thought, this is odd. This is not me. I don't, I don't think I usually have obsessive thoughts, but it was getting a little bit, I was thinking about it. Why, why me? What, what does it mean? What, and then I thought, I know. What it means is I have to write it down. I wrote it down and I did the best job I could making it an interesting story. And I sent it to a couple of people and I'm really thankful to Susan Demeter because she put it on her blog. And the moment she did that, it all stopped. I thought, that's my job done. I didn't have any more thoughts. Um, I'm really glad you sent it to her. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I'd seen, I saw her documentary and it had Greg Bishop on it and he was just introduced as a Los Angeles radio DJ and I thought well, why is he on this program about UFOs and well perhaps I wasn't paying attention but he was like a talk show DJ I thought he was and then he said something and I, I it really resonated with me I thought good grief somebody knows something um, really in depth in terms of what happened to me that's interesting and so then that that caused me to think, okay, let's chuck my story into that kind of area where people are talking um, in a way that I could understand that they knew what happened to us and they were trying to work it out. So I thought, okay, that's good enough for me. If I've got just a tiny bit of the jigsaw and I can put it out into the world, then maybe that's what was meant to be. Yeah. Yeah, because as you were talking about how it it wanted to be in a form, but it was trying to communicate a form with you or pull a form out of you. I was like, oh, co-creation, co-creation. I know what that is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I hear that. Exactly. I feel that. Yeah. I feel that. <laughs> and of course, um, Susan has has been studying strange lights and interesting shaped lights in the sky for a long time and her husband Massimo I have an interview with them that I'll 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 upload and and present as an episode after yours um because yours is a really good introduction to theirs because he's actually done a lot of uh scientific work on these anomalous lights uh-huh. and he has a lot of really good information he's a physicist and uh, he's he's got a lot of really interesting thoughts on it. So I I have had their interview for a while, but I've been holding on to it to wait until I could in- interview you. So I'm glad I got your story. And uh, I think it's really interesting that it was Susan who who picked up your story because yeah, it's very very close to the things that she herself has experienced and that she is. Uh, investigating with her husband. So 
you, you never know, you know, you were called to write it down and you did and you got it to the right person. So I'm thrilled. Yeah, I really am. Now, as you were, as you were watching, you didn't really have any weird experiences before this. Mm. Did you? No. I mean, yeah. I mean, if you're 60 years old, like I am, you're going to come across weird things, but nothing of that order, you know? Right. Yeah. Nothing going on, uh, so to speak. And after it, there was nothing um, immediately um, in like the year or two that followed it. Uh, I mean, we've, we've lived in a mildly haunted house. I've seen people healed by traditional healers. I've, oh, I don't know if it's at all relevant, but in my local junior school, there was a, a young boy, an Irish boy, and the night after Yuri Geller came on TV and bent spoons, he bent every industrial spoon in the school canteen in front of all oh, the children amazing. and the teachers. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, that's it, amazing. It, yeah, it made the newspapers and the local newspapers. And th these spoons were like, you know, <laughs> military spoons or something. Um, right. He was, a, he was a frail little thing. Uh, but it was said he was the seventh son of a seventh son. So, well, you know, it's just, you it's just, that's just an, a throwaway anecdote. Um, you know, you come across things like that. But um, of course, no hitchhiker behavior. Mm -hmm. No, um, kind of lucky, I think. It's maybe, yeah, it was that, or maybe, maybe it was our attitude. We just didn't dwell on it. We just, you know, we didn't. We got on with our lives. We got on with our holiday. Didn't want to report it and waste the time. The the air force obviously knew the, and I knew that they probably didn't want me phoning them and telling them something they already knew and then had to deny. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and then they'd have to find you and talk with you and yeah. make up something that you saw. Yeah, and I, d I didn't have time. I was on my summer holiday. It was it was a really great evening, and we just got on with it. Didn't let it interfere too much or spoil the rest of our holiday. It was our summer holiday, and yeah. So strangely, we we didn't even talk about it that night. We just went to bed, and the next morning we packed down and just drove off. It wasn't like you know pit stop have a meal later in the day that we just said we saw some strange things last night and you just you saw that i saw that yeah we did we just you know checked in with each other and let it go maybe because we let it go it didn't um stick around i was wondering you 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 said to me previously that you've seen a lot of strange things in your time and i wondered yeah. if you'd ever thought and i know that you're interested in um, magic and the power of intention and will and those sort of things, whether you'd ever investigated or invested in um, techniques or ways of being or thinking that shield you or would shield you? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I, the very first book I read that was about shielding techniques is from I believe it was in the 1930s that Dion Fortune wrote it. Her real name was Violet Firth, but her magical name was Dion Fortune. And she was involved with the Golden Dawn Magical Order. 
um, in in Britain in the early part of the 20th century. Uh-huh. And it, that was the very first uh, introduction I had to it. And, and I will say, you know, the information was great, but she wrote really um, like someone in the Edwardian or Victorian era. So it wasn't a super easy read. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I, that's one of the first things that I learned to do was grounding, centering, shielding. Um, and, you know, what I call my Jedi mind trick of disappearing, which is just standing in a place quietly and just fading into the background. Um, and that one I learned kind of naturally as a little kid. Um, and that was because I would go wandering around in the woods and uh, I noticed that the way animals hide from people is they stand very, very still mm-hmm. and they don't make eye contact and they just are quiet. And so I started doing that. I started learning how to sit and just, you know, I was careful not to wear like, you know, brilliant red t-shirts or things like that. You know, I'd wear a quiet color and then just sit and watch quietly. And if any of my relatives who were coming to look for me would come through, then I would you know, avert my eyes and, and just, I would just say to myself or picture to myself that I was part of the tree or, or the shrub or whatever, or the rock that I was near. Hmm. And they, I hardly ever was caught. The only time that they figured out the only way to find me or catch me was to send the dogs for me. (laughs) And if I couldn't convince the dogs not to rat me out, (laughs) <laughs> I'm in some trouble. <laughs> but a lot of times I could convince them to just keep going, keep going, just go. <laughs> and so it it got to be kind of a game with my uncle and I because he 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 couldn't find me. Right. And you know, he said, oh, you'd be such a good hunter." And I'm like, "Yeah, but I don't want to kill anything." So, you know. Hmm. And So you know, would you because- would you use this if you felt something strange happening and you think, right, I'm going to put myself in a different place and a different mindset, or is your curiosity too strong? Or does it have to get a bit weird for you to say, no, okay, I'm going to shut this down. Where where are you on that continuum? See, that's, see, now that's a question, isn't it? Um, I'm very, very curious. If Morgana was here, she would say, you know, mom is way more apt to do dumb stuff than I am because she has a very highly developed sense of self-preservation and she will shield and, and, and just, you know, stamp out the strangeness as quickly as possible. (laughs) Whereas I will let it go long enough until I get the feeling from it that, no, it's time for you to go. And then I don't stick around. Then I'm like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go. Right. Um, and I, I, it, I think the, the worst I've ever behaved in a situation like that was the time that there was screaming in our woods that 
you know, it, I was, you know how you were saying that you were going through all the different things it could be and you were being skeptical and trying to convince yourself, well, it's this or that it's not, it's not what it looks like. It's, you know, those are houses. Those are lights from houses. Why are they floating upwards? I don't know, but those are, (laughs) those are lights from houses. Um, I did the same thing with the screaming in the woods. Very first thought I had was, oh, that's Bigfoot. And then my brain instantly went, no, it's not. Because it can't be. Because it's right near your house. Now, what logic that is, I don't know. <laughs> but it's right near your house, and it's it's right here, and it can't be. And the thing is, is it was within 30 to 60 feet just into the woods from the edge of the woods in and i had the crappiest flashlight in the world um ever since then i've had really good flashlights always charged now i never see anything like that so it doesn't matter Mm. but that night all i had was something that the battery was dying and i had a dog that was tied near the edge of the woods and she was terrified and I wasn't going to let her be out there with whatever it was. Uh You know, my brain is going, uh, it's not a coyote because the dogs have never been afraid of those. And if it was a coyote making a noise like that, there's something wrong with the coyote. And you know, it's not a wolf. I've heard wolves and I'm going through and I'm like, it can't be Bigfoot. It can't be, it can't be, but I got to get this dog. And so I went And I stood next to her and she was cowering behind our um, heat pump, the the heat pump unit, which was, you know, about five feet square, like a cube. And she just would not look towards the woods. And I'm standing there staring and walking closer and closer. To the woods. Because to the woods, because I could see the trees shaking like something was shaking trees, the the young ones. And I could hear these footsteps in a one, two cadence. So if it was four legged, it was trotting. If it was two legged, which is what it sounded like, it was running back and forth. I could see the path it was making as it was running because the trees would shake as it went past. And I could certainly hear it because it was so loud, but I couldn't see it. And it, I just, I wanted to see it so badly. And I, I, I kept taking steps forward. And then I looked down at my dog and she just looked at me and she was so, she just had this look in her eyes, like, no, don't do that. And, and I, I, I was like, she's so scared and she's not scared of anything, but people, Mm -hmm. she's not afraid of any animal. And I was like, you know what? Don't do it. Mm. And so I, I, unhooked her from the lead and and I didn't even have to hold her collar she burst away from my hand and ran straight to the back door she was ready and (laughs) didn't try to run off or do anything and uh you know I had my husband standing there ready to dial 911 and the whole time he's like come back and I was like yeah I'm I'm coming now I'm coming so yeah yeah uh, I understand about being mesmerized and and thinking, oh, I want to know what that is. Yeah, so you make me. Th- 
think about the trees. I mean, lots of people have stories where they see things appear in the trees, behind the trees, rising from tree level. And, you know, this, what I saw happened in a small stand of trees in the middle of a huge field. And it occurs to me that there's something about the lattice the trees make. It makes it mm. easier for you to jump to a shape. It's like a grid. So if things are ill-defined, mm-hmm. um, it's like joining the dots. You know that, that mm-hmm. there's an old uh, books you have for kids where you know there's, there's the dots and they're numbered and you draw between them and all of a sudden what you're drawing becomes apparent because you've gone from dot one to two. This I think there's something there. There are so many stories of people beginning to perceive something because it's in the trees or in the branches. Um, yeah. Do you happen to know what kind of trees those were? No. Yeah. I wonder about that. Um, whenever there's, there's like a stand of trees that are left in the middle of a hay field or a crop field, I always, you know, wonder why they're there. Um, because I know in Ireland, certain types of trees will not be cut down or oh, trifled that's with right. in any yes. way. Um, rowan is one of them. Ash is another. Hawthorn, that's another one. Uh, willow sometimes. Elder sometimes. So I do wonder if there was a reason why the, the farmer had those trees there. Yeah. Interestingly, a lot of what happened around the house where I lived during the the graduation party, uh, a lot of the action happened in um, in the small bit of woods that was up on the hill, and then there was three apple trees next to the house, not super close to the house, but it was you know it was they were by themselves, just three trees. And so a lot of weird things happened there. So trees. Trees, yeah. Mm-hmm. I had one person suggest that maybe the trees were, it's a Japanese word, it's kodama. And it, the kodama are spirits of trees. They're a kind of kami, which is a, a nature spirit in Japan, in the Shinto belief system. And he said, you know, maybe those lights are like kami would be in Japan. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, I never thought of that. So, yeah, that's a thought. Yeah, for me, it seemed as if the trees were being used as a, you know, put the, the lights in the trees, takes your attention to the trees, and mm-hmm. then you've got this mm-hmm. matrix, shadows, dark shapes that, Allows you coalescing, yeah, yeah, something coalescing there. Then it it allows you to to imagine a shape, or mm-hmm. you know, it gets pulled forth and then it's tried on, and it's like, what about this kind of shape and size, or what about this, and and that's okay. I'm going to get a bit bigger now, and uh, I'm going to become a bit more mm-hmm. solid, and you can see me, can't you? And it's like, oh yeah, damn it. I'm seeing it. I'm, yes. And then finally, there's been this, as I said before, this negotiation and 
because you are able and can't prevent yourself from seeing what it is that you, you've half imagined it to, that bang, that clicks the thing from being something insubstantial to something solid, allows it to, to, to have a form, a really solid form. And, mm-hmm. and then, yeah, a life of its own here. Um, whatever it is. Yeah, what, what, whatever, it's, whatever it's doing, I... No, I I wonder if if that thing was basically supposed to keep your attention and um the other things were doing the the mission, the job or whatever it was they were doing, you know. They seemed to be looking for something in the in that other field and then the orbs I know what my grandfather saw uh across the road from his farm back in the 70s is he used to watch orbs float over high tension high power lines really he lived yeah he lived in a in a rural area so the those you have those huge high tension lines yeah um that that take the power from you know miles and miles and miles out to the rural areas and he would watch them f- just fly along slowly along the high tension wires. And he said he could see a glow rise around the wire as it went past. And he thought that they were stealing electricity. Yeah, that, that occurred to me. That this, they, they seek it, find it, and transmit it. Because mm-hmm. it did occur to me what for these objects to become so substantiated there's presumably a lot of energy being used a ridiculous amount of energy and mm-hmm. and for what oh that's what i uh, um i came across um a story um about a guy called michael booth and i think it was in something like oh anyway much later it was in like around about 1995 or something. Um, he saw these white boxy things in a in a cornfield. He was cycling in the countryside in the south of England, and he stopped and he watched them. And they, there was three of them, and they were traversing through a cornfield. And he went back the next day and saw the marks they'd made in the cornfield. And he actually made a painting of them. He was a, some kind of graphic designer or engineering graphic um, type modeler. And he did a painting and I came across it and I showed it to Sarah and I said, said, Sarah, what's that? And she says, oh my gosh, that's, that's one of the things we saw. And it was, it was, yeah, it it looks like what we saw. I can't say it is. Uh, And then his story is that the next day there was a huge crop circle in the field. And so, yeah, um, I can't say those those boxy things could have been making a crop circle, or it could be just like a um, a little rabbit hole set for me to go running down, which I tried not it, to. It's hard to say. I mean, what if the crop circle isn't the purpose, but it's the side effect? Yeah, I mean, what if it's just juvenile tagging? You know. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> they just come here and said, hey, let's do another one of those crop circle things. And maybe they were wandering off. Uh, 
out looking for another decent sized field to do another crop circle when the RAF appeared and there's like the police coming and they're going, Scott, yeah, oh, I gotta go. Yeah, let's beat it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it could, it could be like that. that. It could be that mundane to them. They just, you know, found found an excuse or, you know, they found me looking into the stars and they thought, hey, look, we can use this. Let's get him to do this. And then we'll get the other side of the curtain and let's do what we normally do, steal some power and make a crop circle. <laughs> I know. To show we were there. Kilroy <laughs> <laughs> was here. <laughs> yeah. But... um. Yeah, theories. There's lots of theories, but I kind of like John Keel's theories in his book, Trojan Horse, where he's saying we're being manipulated, shown something. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, but there are so many theories. Well, the thing is, is it, 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 there's absurdity to it. You know, why, you know, the whole idea of an extraterrestrial. Uh, uh, group coming here to steal our electricity <laughs> and make crop circle. You know, yeah. if you think about it, yeah. If you think about it, you don't even have to think about it too awful hard. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. Um, you know why? Why did they show us the weird stuff we saw at graduation night? I don't know. You know. <laughs> Why do they do anything that they do? They do seem to want to communicate with people, but to what purpose? I'm not a hundred percent sure. Um, they do seem to harvest energy. That I've I've heard enough about uh, power lines being involved and uh, crops being involved, and enough about water being involved that there is something that has to do with all of those things. Mm, and they were, all three were present mm-hmm. when we were there. The pond, the trees, yeah. those, mm-hmm. those huge um, power lines. Yeah. Yeah, because it, it sounds basically like my grandfather's farm, but, you know, across the ocean. Yeah. It, it sounds about the same. There is some, you know, universality to that. <laughs> <laughs> to that uh, landscape, I think. Yeah. The effect on Sarah was she's never felt that comfortable under the starry skies. Would definitely uh. not do stargazing. Maybe if I was doing some stargazing, she'd say, Carl, just you know, take it easy. Uh, yeah. So that was a permanent effect on her. Yeah. Yeah. The, when you have really strong experiences like that, it does change you. And sometimes it's a permanent change like that, like with Sarah. And sometimes it's it's a transient thing. But it does seem like it does change people. I, you know, you, you talked about Greg Bishop. One of my favorites of his ideas is that um, it's an art project. That um, he said, you know, what what do artists do? What is it that you do when you paint a painting? And I said, well, I want someone to to look at it. And he said, and then what? And then I said, and be changed, just like when you write a novel, you want 
to convey something to someone that changes them or adds to their understanding of, of the world. He said, exactly. He said, well, think about UFOs. He's like, people look at them and their entire lives change. He said, they, they see these lights or they see this structured craft and whether it's for good or ill, their life changes. He said, think about that. Wouldn't that be the greatest, like, you know, art that you could do that, you know, pretty much 100% of the time you changed somebody? <laughs> I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, it, 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 it did have an artistic element to it. It was very theatrical and, and mm -hmm. early in the night being in the theater. And yeah. so I was able to make that correlation. Very theatrical. What, what It was an appearance and it was staged. And yeah, I think like the same time as we've been talking about, it had a, some purposeful elements, but it was was very showy. And mm -hmm. yeah, you know, look, okay, now everyone pay attention, you know, dim the lights, everyone be quiet, yeah. watch this, we're going to amaze you. It, it, it did have that quality. Uh, and yeah, and, and you, there was a sense of wonder. And that that you get in the best of uh, theatrical performances. Yes, you have that that excitement and then wonder. And you had just seen Midsummer Night's Dream too, so there could be really no more. I mean, it's not like you saw Death of a Salesman. <laughs> um, no, <laughs> it would not have been the same kind of. Yeah, it just wouldn't have been as good. <laughs> it was it was a fantastic performance, and it, it just puts you in a cast of mind. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, you know, semi contemplative and then you're out in the countryside in the night and very relaxed, uh, very happy and yeah, all of a sudden you, you're getting all these wonderful, incredible things happening, but it's quite horrible. Uh, yeah, yeah I don't, yeah. Like people say, oh, these it's, oh, it's, it's amazing. It's going to, it didn't change me. I don't think it changed me. Apart from, like I say, in that moment, I could countenance there being things coming from other dimensions and visiting us, and that, uh, and that always having happened and always going to happen. And I thought, wow, that's a, that's you just have to take that. I didn't have the yeah. option. I took that on board. That's the main change. But um, that that's big. You're kind of downplaying it, but that's a big thing for someone to realize you know, in an instant. Yeah, it was a, it was a lot in that instant. And it, it also, it's just like, oh, no, don't be doing this. This is, no, you know, this is wrong. It did feel wrong. It felt mm -hmm. like a transgression. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm not saying things were, it was against us or evil. It just seemed, you know, once I got my kind of normal consciousness back from seeing the orbs disappear, behind me it was it's like okay i get it i'm i felt i actually felt like a rat a lab rat being introduced to a cat for the first time and apparently mm. lab rats will freeze and in you know instinctively know it was i instinctively knew this was wrong i i shouldn't be there um mm -hmm. it was a bad place to be um I'm sure it's different if you're just seeing twinkling things in the distance or 
things that look like satellites and then don't behave like satellites. But when it's yeah, just yeah. whap, all of a sudden it's it's interfered with your mind and it's drawn the the idea out of you to become, and then it becomes and it's absolutely solid and it's just there and it's 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 so different from anything you've ever experienced before. It just makes you think, no, I don't don't like this. This no. Yeah. Not good. I mean, I think that that your description of of it taking the the shape out of your mind, you know, and there being a ne- negotiation between your consciousness and its consciousness as to what shape it was going to settle in is very eloquent and I think that's probably the only place where I've seen it or heard it or read it in that way so clearly and concretely um it's it's very eloquent and i i think i do think that's a piece of a puzzle there yeah um, that's what i was thinking that, yeah you're you're spot on it's it's not something i read or heard someone talk about people have skirted around 1989 it. <laughs> Certainly not in 1989. Well, yeah, nobody was talking about it that way. Well, no. I mean, it was like years later. I, I came across an obscure Czechoslovakian research paper that said maybe UFOs have a consciousness dimension. I, I know John Keel and Jack Vallee had written about it earlier, but I hadn't read them. I hadn't. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just. Years later, when I came across their books, and I thought, "Ah, oh, okay, you know, this is this is something that is so, known about, but not the intricacies." And it was, yeah, only recently, well, like about a year ago, and I came across podcasts and conversations that included co-creation, and people had little bits, and I thought, "I've been right in the middle of that." Uh, that caused me yeah, to but- think, "Right, I got to write this down and get it out there." And then it's a, a tiny, tiny bit of the jigsaw. Um, yeah, you're right. You've so, you've picked up on that. Yeah, I mean, that's part of why I started the podcast. Was first off, i I wanted people to understand that they're not alone in having these weird experiences. There's plenty of others around having these strange things happen, and there is probably some meaning to it. And you know, I grew up with worrying that I was. I was somehow crazy, hallucinatory all the time and all of that. And later I figured out, no, I'm when other people were seeing the same thing that I was seeing standing right next to me, I figured out, no, there's something else happening. Hallucinations don't tend to travel (laughs) from mind to mind, (laughs) at least not in any, you know, any biological sense that I've read about. Um, and uh, I, I just kind of wanted people to understand that, but also because I wanted to collect stories because I feel like a lot of people's stories haven't been collected and there's there's bits and pieces of information in these stories that's relevant. And it, that's that's one of the pieces when you when you said that, you know, you could feel it trying to communicate with you and pick out a shape i was like oh that's just like how i feel like our brains are our wardrobes 
with costumes in them. That they, <laughs> they reach in and, you know, between the two of us, we decide which costume it's going to put on. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I, yeah. I, 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 so again, another theatrical metaphor. Yeah. But. And I would never have thought, you know, but just from general pop culture, you know, UFOs were silver and, saucer shaped and came down from above and this was something that materialized and was matte black and huge and where did I, I, I get that from? And I, the only thing I can think is that it wanted to be something like that and mm-hmm. uh, I could countenance it. But going back to you, your statement about knowing how to shield and become less obvious and protected, do you think that would be interesting to people who have the, I know some people have um, contact with craft and beings and quite a lot of them seem to be upset by it. It doesn't do them any good. Do you think it's a skill that could be taught more widely to those mm. people to make them more I empowered? Think it, I think that's pretty much how I feel about it. I've taught uh, people who were, uh, witches or Wiccans or magical practitioners or shamanic practitioners, how to shield. I mean, it's the first thing I teach people um, if they're going to be dealing with spirits or doing magic of any sort. It's mm-hmm. like the, it's like the first thing I teach. And um, I actually really think that that's one of the things that, magical practitioners can offer to the uh, UFO community because I mean, even John Keel, when he was talking with Connie Carpenter in um, Point Pleasant in the 1960s during the Mothman flap, you know, he said, you know, maybe you should wear your cross around your neck and, and pray because it will make you feel better. And and statistically speaking, people have managed to get the greys to leave them alone when they call upon Christ, particularly if they are believers. Although there have been cases, I know of at least two people who are not Christian who have done the same thing and had the beings leave them alone after that. Right. So I am of the opinion that any sort of prayer or protective magic or even sometimes just having the sense of yourself and commanding them to leave you alone. Sometimes that's good enough. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's, that's something that we can offer uh, some, some of the uh, UFO abductee, or experiencers, because some of it is not welcome at all. I mean, me personally, I don't have much to say good about the grays, but um, some people do have positive experiences with them. But for the people who don't, yeah, I think we should be helping to uh, empower them. Yeah. I'd, I've never seen a gray or to me they're, they're still slightly in the realm of mythical beings. Yeah. But yeah. then there's like 
Now, not so much Bigfoot. Because Bigfoot, like I've, like a lot of people, I thought Bigfoot is supposed to be this relic hominid, and why hasn't it been seen? And and then then you look at the topic and you think you get, you learn that people are seeing Bigfoot all the time, and these things disappear, and it's like oh, it's just like another one of these phenomenon. So. Mm-hmm. That changed. That was that changed my thinking on things. To think that I, yeah, I I, I was just ignorant, um, and that there's, there's so much evidence of, yeah, people seeing it for so many years in so many countries and so many situations. Uh, yeah, I don't think there's any Bigfoot in New Zealand. So that's good. I haven't heard of any. <laughs> no. Although I, recently I did read about uh, someone who saw one in in like part of London down an unused railway line that was overgrown with bushes. And I was like, that has to be some paranormal thing because <laughs> yeah. there is no place for Bigfoot to live. And there's just no, 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 no. He's not hanging out in Kensington Gardens. That's where Peter Pan hangs out. It's not. That's not where he lives. <laughs> I refuse. I refuse to believe that. Uh, so that must be some strange paranormal thing. But no, I have not read of uh, Bigfoot types. Australia, yes. They have the yow. Oh, that's right. Yes. But New Zealand, no. Haven't haven't heard stories from there. Now watch. I'll get email from somebody. Yeah, it's bound to be. From New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't know. You don't know. You yes, don't know what you're talking him. about. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, if he hangs out in London, he he could perfectly well be in, in New Zealand, too. You don't know. <laughs> it could happen. Oh, he could be in Wellington. Oh, no. I hope not. Not that I'm wishing him on. No. I really, I really like how you, you see it as a, as this gradual. Well, first off, I really like how you felt like it was, it's a show that it was unfolding in front of you, but that you were a participant in it as well. And I also like that you guys ran off, but then you stopped and turned around and kept watching from a safer distance. Um, a lot of people just would have run for cover and not kept looking. <laughs> um, and I can't blame them. I can't blame them. Uh, I would have been like you and turned and watched too, but uh, yeah. I, I do appreciate that you did watch from a safer distance and, and you, you stayed for the entire show basically. And, you know, you saw the the beginning, the middle, and the end. Yeah, I mean, there were it, it, or whatever was behind it was definitely interacting for a while. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, interacting, and you knew you were the focus of it. Not just it, you happened to be there. It just was, you were the focus right. of it, but but kind of bizarre that you were. Um. And yeah, and running away, it just it did feel like okay, we're just out of that zone of mm -hmm. danger. It just just felt I don't know, 
just it feels safe here and next to the donkeys and they calm down and you could just watch. I mean, also, if it, yeah, if it got a bit more weird, then you could run into the farmhouse and raise, yeah. raise the locals. Right. You know, there, there's that that to it. But um, so obviously a tension, isn't it? You don't want to, what what is going to happen to cause you to do that? And then everyone comes outside late at night there's and nothing. there's nothing there. Um, yeah. 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 You're not going to be popular. No, no, no. Farmers don't like to be awakened in the middle of the night. Uh, I do remember that about my grandfather. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I like that the donkeys were disturbed and then you, you guys stayed there and then they calmed down so that it, it's like, were they feeling your upset? Were they experiencing, did they see the lights? There's questions of that. Did they sense something? Mm. Um, because animals I've, I've had experiences with animals watching the same thing I'm watching. And that's another thing that, you know, I'll I'll see an animal interact with something and go, yep, yep, it's there. Okay. Uh -huh. All right. Yeah. It's I, there. I, All right. <laughs> yeah, I I think they were aware or could see something definitely. They were, you know, moving around, wickering. They just they were very perturbed. And I don't I think they were doing it as we were approaching. So yeah, and obviously they calmed down once we were there. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm kind of glad. I'm gl glad there was two of us. If it had been just me, um, oh, oh, you, you know, it's not so much safety in numbers, but you're going to doubt yourself. Uh, and the, Always. And, and Sarah saw all the same things I did when she was cogent. The only difference, I have to be honest, was she saw D20 as a bit more oval than um, rounded than me. That's, mm -hmm. that's the only, you know, there was a difference. But in terms of the other things and what they did and how long they were there, you know, all, all the same. Huh. Yeah, that's, that's not that unusual. You know, small details will differ, but you see the same basic things. Um, I thought that, uh, you know, the whole thing about the lights, um, Keel talks about it, that he, he was of the belief that the only quote unquote real part of an experience was the light and that it somehow induced a non-ordinary state of consciousness in, in the people witnessing it. And that the rest of it was a psychic connection with them. But things like, you know, my cat noticing what I'm noticing and the donkeys noticing what you were noticing kind of makes me go, well, now, unless this consciousness can talk to the donkeys and the, and the cats <laughs> the same way that it talks with human consciousness, there's, you know, then it, then it, then it's like, you know, maybe the animals just see the lights and they don't get the the shapes and the, mm. the other stuff. Who knows? But I do think that that's interesting. And that it, there are just so many people I know who have had anomalous light phenomena that it's it's a little bit scary if I sit and think about it. Yeah. Well, the, the lights that we saw were definitely being used to attract attention to... Maintain mm -hmm. attention 
to affect your psychological state. There. Yeah. And they're, they're multi-purpose. Uh, yeah. So it's like a fishing lure that you just you're caught by the, mm-hmm. by the lights, and then it allows everything else to progress. Um, and yeah, it's psychological element, but at a certain point, the D twenty thing took on substantiation and moved off, and then you know it was solid enough. I have to assume that it set off radar. So if that hadn't happened, it would be a whole different experience in terms yeah. of was there something that that was of the order of a impingement of a dream or a dream state or you know it could it could all have been a hologram or a, mm-hmm. a dream that happened that was beamed in or you were half awake yeah, yeah a lucid dream while you're awake yeah uh, but, hypnagogic hymp- hypnopompic hallucination yeah but it, it does seem like that element of it was to show no look mist lights mm. this we're gonna do this and then lest you think that we weren't really there in solidity we've caused this to happen the, the fighter jets to be scrambled yeah yeah, that's that's just that's amazing, and yeah, that does put a, a damper in the whole. Oh, it's all psychological uh, explanation, and you kind of go, oh, well, okay, maybe not, maybe not. Mm. Um, and that's that's always amusing to me. <laughs> you know, I, one of my friends, Tim Renner, who has the the uh, strange familiars podcast, which if you, if you haven't listened to it is really interesting. Um, he, he sees lights in the woods along with a bunch of other strange things happen to him. And, uh, I contacted him because he was talking about the lights in the woods. I'm like, Oh my God, somebody else sees them. And then it turns out I started listening to his podcast more regularly. Lots of people have seen them all over the place. And, You know, he said to me when we first talked, he said, you know, sometimes he said, when you see them and, you know, I've taken people out to the place where I see them all the time and they'll be like, is that it? Is that it? And he's like, no, no, you'll know it's it Mm -hmm. when you see it. And then all of a sudden, oh, oh, he says, but, you know, as many times as I've seen them and with people, I've seen them so that I'm not by myself. He said, it, sometimes, even after all these years, I doubt myself. And I say, did I really see that? Did it really look like that? And that made me feel better because wow. there, there were times that I was like, you know, maybe maybe that, that party that we had, maybe it didn't really go down like that. Maybe it wasn't that, you know, mm. and then you see them again and they're just as bright and you know, in your face and you go, Oh wait. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I did see that. <laughs> there they are. All right. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I'll stop worrying about it. I think they're definitely a major tool in the toolkit of the phenomenon, the flashing yes. lights. Yes. Yes. Like, like laser pointers for cats. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help but think of that because I, I really do think that that's that's some part of it. 
that you know we're attracted to those lights just like the cats are yeah that's a good a good analogy well do you have any other bits you want to bring up we've been talking for a good hour and a half and you thought you'd have nothing else to say no. after you heard it down. <laughs> Unless you've got any questions or I any think I asked bits and bobs. You know, I'll think of something, you know, yeah. at three o'clock in the morning. Um, <laughs> because that's how that works with me. Um, you know, I'm just glad that you you wrote this down and and you got it out there. It's I think it's a remarkable experience i think it's utterly fascinating well thank you there are just so many little bits and pieces and you're very good at expressing the impact of each aspect of it and and i i do very much appreciate that yeah um i've just tried to remember it rather rather like we've had theories and i've talked about things but i don't really hold on to anyone essentially don't have any idea what was going on or why it happened but i've tried to go back and actually remember it for what it was what i on how i felt and um, part of that is effort and part of it like i say the memory came back very clearly and unbidden and um, mm -hmm. i needed to do something about that and um thankful that I have and I'm thankful that Susan was able to put it out in the world and you were able to um, live by your philosophy of taking people, ordinary people that have been dunked into high strangeness. I think you put it in that really caught my attention and uh, yeah, talking to me is really good. Thank you. It, well, it's, it's like you had a baptism into high strangeness all in one night. <laughs> you just, yeah. it just grabbed you and dunked you right in. So there you go. Sure is. That's exactly <laughs> what it was. That's, and I really, I'm, I'm glad that that Susan published it, and I, I could get a hold of you. And thank you for, for you know, drawing my attention to that, uh, to your story again, because I had read it and I had written down, get in contact with author, and then you know, 15 other things happened and then I forgot. And then you sent the email. So good on you. Thank you. Thank you. Been a pleasure talking to you. It's been great talking with you and you're welcome back anytime. If you have something else you want to talk about. All right. Well, that's all for this week's episode of the six degrees of John Keel podcast. If you have any questions or thoughts about the podcast or would like to come and talk about your experiences of the paranormal, you can contact us at 6djk67 at gmail.com. We promise to even answer you, and we are always happy to hear from you. Thank you. Bye.